Hey, Lifehouse, can we show our love and appreciation for those joining us online for Lifehouse in your house? Yeah. We love you. We love you. If you got your Bible, rather, let me say this. Take your Bible because even if you don't have a Bible, I guarantee you, you have a cell phone and you can download a Bible app and you can go in the Bible to Romans chapter 5 and we will be there in just a moment. Romans chapter 5. Last week, I preached a sermon called Know Who You Are. And um, I'll just go ahead and tell you right now that the title of this week's message is Know What You Have. And uh, I kind of thought we might do this, but I didn't plan it in advance. I kind of just wanted to, to see what God was doing, see where I felt like the Holy Spirit was taking us. And I know the sermon titles aren't all that descriptive. I mean, they're actually very descriptive. They're just not all that unique. Know who you are. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Know what you have. All right, what, what I got? What, what you got? What I got? Um, but I, just a little refresher from last week. I want to remind you, in case you don't know, in case you've forgotten what I talked about last week, or in case you weren't here, that you are the redeemed of Christ. That, that you are not a slave to sin. That you are a son or a daughter of God. If you, if you have believed upon the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you have confessed him as Lord and Savior of your life, you are not the product of your past mistakes. You are the product of the work on the cross, right? Amen? Amen. And, and that's who you are. And this world will tell you, that voice inside your head will tell you, the devil will try to convince you that you're a nobody. He will try to convince you that you're a failure. He'll try to convince you that you're not good enough. But the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts, the Word says, and reminds us in Galatians 4, 7, that we are the children of God. And Pastor Jeremy Austell yesterday, uh, as he began to open his mouth, hey, don't get that excited. Who was that? Who was that? Trying to make me feel bad. Listen, man, I, come on, I gotta preach today. I can't measure up to that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Calm down, Joe. Um, he talked about how that what we tend to do a lot of times, um, and, and, and I do this and I've done this, but God helping me, I'm gonna stop doing this and you're gonna stop doing this, is that we know uh, that Jesus died for our sins, but we see the work of the cross at the end of the spectrum. And this is what he kind of explained. He said, we, we see ourselves, then we see our fear, then we see our anxiety, then we see our problems, then we see our mistakes, and then we see our, you know, the, the things in our life that, that want to tell us that we're not good enough, that we're not smart enough, that we don't have enough money, that we're not talented enough, skilled enough, anointed enough, whatever it may be. And then at the very end of that, we see Jesus, and then we see how Jesus, you know, he, he makes all that other stuff okay. But that's, that's, that's the wrong way to look at it. What we should see is we should see ourselves, and then Jesus is first in line in that filter. He comes before fear. He comes before anxiety. He comes before failure. He comes before sin, problems, pain, persecution, whatever it may be. And then everything else past that, it doesn't even matter because you can't even see that because you're so focused on who Jesus says you are. Come on, that's worth another shout of celebration right there. So as we are learning who we are, it's also imperative that we learn what we have, what we possess as men and women of God, what we possess as sons and daughters of Christ. And the thing that we possess, and it really boils down to one word and hopefully throughout this message, and I even hinted at this last week, I, I mentioned it in passing, and for some of you, you've heard me preach some of this before, uh, but today I hope to unpack it a little more in depth, and we're going to go deep today. You guys okay with going deep? And in one word, the thing that you have that most of us, and myself very much included in this, we struggle to use it because we don't feel worthy, which is a lie of the devil, because if he, he knows that if we start to realize who we are and what we have, that the kingdom of darkness will begin being overcome by the kingdom of God. So we know who we are. We are children of God. And here's what we have. Authority. Yeah, you, you might be thinking, oh, that's good. And some of you might be thinking, ah, you just hold on. Just hold on. We'll get there. We'll just get there. So, so I was thinking about, you know, what, what, what does authority in the kingdom look like? And this is, this is, this is what it looks like. Kind of. Um, several years ago, um, back before I could afford a pair of Air Force Ones, <laughs> And some really can't today, but you know, whatever uh, they are. They're so white and clean and it better not be raining when we get out of church. I'm just saying, y'all, I have to take them off and walk in my socks. But anyway, 
me and Kristen were thinking about, Olivia was just a baby, and we're like, we want to go on vacation. We, 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 we didn't even have a honeymoon, and, 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 and can I get a witness? Anybody like, yeah, we didn't have a honeymoon, but, you know, we had a good time anyway. You know what I'm saying? And, um, that, was, that was funny. And um, so we wanted to go to the beach. We wanted to take Olivia to the beach, and um, Julia might have actually just been born. And so we, we, we uh, have a friend. Um, well, it was her father's friend. His name is Ken. He lives in Pensacola, Florida. He, and, well, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, but East Tennessee is better, I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, you get sand there, you get pollen here, whatever. Um, who needs beaches when you have pollen all over everything? And uh, so we go down there. We stay with them at their house. They were wonderful hosts for us, super generous. And he tells us one night he wants to take us out to eat. And there's this restaurant that we wanted to go to in Pensacola called McGuire's. Anybody ever go to McGuire's? I think there's a few other places. Melanie's all up in this message, y'all. <laughs> Give it up for the camera lady today. And <laughs> And he says, he says, all right, guys, dinner's on us. And I don't, if you've ever been there, it's not, it's not ridiculously expensive, but it's not, you know, brand new baby, $24,000 a year salary expense. You know what I'm saying? You, you feel, you feel that? And, um, and so, uh, he says, get whatever you want. And I don't really know Ken that well. And that's a lot of our problems right there. We don't know the generosity, the love, the grace, and the goodness of the one who's called us his own. That's a big issue right then and there. And so I don't know him that well. I don't, I, I, I want to make a good impression, right? You know, he's letting us stay in his home. I don't want to take advantage of our host. And he says, order whatever you want. And there is a $57 ribeye on the menu. And, uh, and so I skip that page and I go to the cheeseburgers for even then like 18 bucks. It ain't no cheap cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? And uh, our server comes around and she says, you know what we have? And I'm like, I'll get the, uh, the bacon cheeseburger. And he stops me. He says, no, you will not. You will not get a bacon cheeseburger. You can get a bacon cheeseburger anywhere. You are, you, you are not going to get a bacon cheeseburger. He said, I told you to order whatever you want to get. He said, the bill is paid. You just need to understand the opportunity that you have and the one who's brought you to the table. And as long as we are at the table that Jesus is set for us, now, now I want you to hear what I just said, because a lot of times the problem is we try to act like we have authority in Christ, but we have removed ourselves from the table that Christ has set for us. And so we're operating in false authority that's not been given to us, that's not been delegated to us. But when we are sitting at the table of the one who has called us, he would look at each and every one of us and he says, the bill is covered. I got, I got money you don't even know about. I got resources you, you, you haven't even scratched the surface of yet. Why are you asking for so little? Why are you living for so less when I'm the one who set the table? I'm the one who's paid the bill. I'm the one who's made the way. All you have to do is walk in the freedom, walk in the authority, walk in the dominion I have for you. Come on, can you give the Lord praise for that? So I got the $57 ribeye, y'all. I'm just saying. I'm probably still wearing those calories somewhere today, but it was worth every, every bit of it. Paul says this in Romans 5, 17. He says, for if by, he says, for if by the trespass of the one man, and he's talking about Adam right here. I encourage you, go back and read all of Romans 5. In fact, just go read all of Romans. Did you know that Romans, the entire letter of Romans, is the most influential document, single document, in all of human history? Go, go look that up. Most influential single document in all of human history. He says, for if by the trespass of that one man, speaking of Adam, he says, death reigned through that one man, how much more? Everybody say that. How much more? How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Say that. Reign in life. Come on, say it loud. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and active. And thank you, God, that the sermon is not based on my skill. 
It's not based on even my understanding. Father, ultimately, it is based on our receptivity to the work of your spirit in our lives. And God, I pray that you will do a great work in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is saying that because of Adam's sin, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I told you we're going deep today, and you're okay with that. We've already established that you're good, right? You ain't got no, it's raining, you can't go fishing, you can't go play golf, you can't go cut your grass today, it's too wet. You might as well just stay at church a little while, okay? He said because of Adam's sin, death uh, and sin and destruction have had its way essentially since Genesis chapter 3. But because of the overwhelming work, the overcoming power of the cross of Christ, no longer does sin have its way. Instead, death now has to bow to life, that, that, that sin now has to bow to righteousness, and destruction has to give way to hope. You see, where there was death, Jesus walks into the room and he gives life, Right? That's, that's the story right there. That's we're singing scripture when we're singing that song. When Jesus walks into Jairus' daughter's room, 12-year-old girl that's been dead for a few hours now, she, that, that when, when he walked into the room, death had to flee. But here's the thing that we don't understand, and this is the, the crux of the message right here. It's not today about when Jesus walks into the room. Today it's about when you walk into the room. Death has to give way to life. Sin has to give way to righteousness and destruction has to give way to hope. Now you might think, oh, that, that sounds, that, that doesn't sound right. That, you know, it's not about me. But, but what if I told you Jesus is the one who actually said, yeah, it's about you. He said, the great, the works that I'm doing, they're, and we're going to read this in a minute. The works that I'm doing, you, you see them and you wonder at them and you, you're in awe of them. He said, greater works than these you're going to do. You remember last week when I told you he gave you the keys to the kingdom? Well, I hope today you start using those keys. And he says that we are the recipients of this great grace and that we no longer have to be ruled by a life that we can't control. Instead, we have been called and appointed by our great high priest to reign in life, to rule in life. We are appointed as kings and queens. Come on, it sounds weird, right? I know, I get it, I feel you. This isn't Downton Abbey, this is the kingdom of God though. We are appointed as kings and queens to rule as Christ in this world because we are the body of Christ, right? You, you, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, we're the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And just so we are to rule as Christ in this world because we are the body of Christ in this world. We are the represent, not just even the representation, but we are even the church. We are the embodiment of Christ in this world. And, 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 and people struggle with this because they, they want to focus on what they feel like they don't have instead of focusing on what God says we do have. And we start talking about our authority in Christ and we start feeling like, oh, we're making ourselves a big deal. We're, I, I, we're talking, you know, I'm making too much of myself. But, but the reality is, uh, if Jesus saw fit to give himself up for you on the cross, maybe you are a bigger deal than you first thought. According to Genesis 1, anyway, we have been created in the likeness and image of God. That he, breathed, he formed us with his hands and he breathed the breath of life into us. There is more value on a single human soul than there is all the wealth in all the world combined. Not because of what you bring to the table, but because of the one who brought you to the table. Man, that's better preaching than you're letting on. Maybe I did get saved at men's retreat. I don't know. AJ was praying for me. I didn't know his would count that well, but here we are. So I want you today to know what you have. You guys ready to go deep? First thing you need to understand is that God gave in Genesis chapter 1 dominion or the authority to reign uh, to humanity. This is what God's word says in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. He says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, I just want to point out that when we read that, when I read that, my first thought is, anybody under the age of 12 in the room, you just cover your ears, I don't know, to make babies. That's what he's telling us to do, right? Let's go make babies. And, uh, and that's true, but it's not the whole truth. Understand, there's truth in it, but it's not the complete truth. He says to be fruitful and increase the number, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, 
and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over other, every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, what God is saying is, I want you to, to make more of you. I want you to increase in number. And in time, I want you to exit the garden because there is a whole big old creation out there. And unlike the garden that I put you in, there, there's, there's not peace. There's not prosperity out there. There's chaos. There's destruction. And I want you to take what I've done here and I want you to be fruitful and multiply and I want you to reign and I want you to expand over all the earth and I want you to take what I've done here. It sounds like something that Jesus might say a little later in Matthew 28. He says, I want you to take what I've done right here and I want you to take it out there. I want you to have dominion over all creation. And so God gave humanity all the authority and all the resources to fill the earth and to subdue it and to rule over creation. So in the beginning, God creates man. And then God gives authority, his authority, delegated authority to humanity to take what he's done here and to spread it out there. But, but there was a problem. Everybody say there was a problem. There was a problem. Humanity eventually in Genesis 3 actually surrenders their control that God gave them, their dominion, their authority. They surrender it to another power, to another entity. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, Eve is walking around in the garden. The serpent, the Bible says, who was more crafty than all the other animals, he comes up to her and, and he says, did God tell you that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And, and, and which is crazy because God didn't say that. He didn't even remotely say that. But that's what Satan does, is he tries to take the word of God and he tries to twist it in a way that almost sounds right, but is 100% wrong. And Eve actually does respond correctly, although the wheels begin to turn in her mind. He says, no, 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 no. He didn't say that we couldn't eat of any tree. He just said that we couldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan says, the deceiver, the serpent says, he says, oh, that's because he knows when you eat of that fruit, you will be like him. But, 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 everybody say, but. What, what did Genesis 1.27 say? God created mankind in his own image, the image of God he created them. The thing was, they were already like God. See, there's so much already on you that you have that you don't know you have because you've believed a lie. You've been listening to a snake inside your mind that's telling you you're not enough. You don't have enough. You're not anointed. You're not skilled. You're not called. You're not a pastor. You're not a preacher. You're not a prophet. You're just a person who's working at a factory. You're nobody. You're no good. And that is such a lie straight from the pits of hell that has existed since Genesis chapter 3. And you know the story. Eventually, Eve takes a bite of the fruit, and then she hands it to Adam, and Adam takes a bite of the fruit. And then they hide from God because they realized they were naked. They realized that they didn't have anything covering them up. And this is what Paul means when he says, by the trespass of one man, of Adam, death reigned through him. And this became generational. And because Adam and Eve chose to obey Satan, they in that moment became slaves to sin. I told you we were going deep and you said you were okay with it, but I'm looking at you right now and I'm wondering if you meant it. I'm wondering if you meant it. We good, Matt? We good? All right. This is what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 6, 16. He says, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. So when you submit your life to, to following the way of sin, to following the way of Satan, you are essentially saying, you are the master of my life. You are in control of who I am. And so the curse of sin was passed down through all of humanity, starting with Adam. And that means that Cain and Abel and Seth, even, you know, the third son. Anybody remember Seth? Any, any Seth fans in that? He doesn't get enough credit, but he's the one that was in the lineage of Jesus. I think it's Seth who gets more credit, right? <laughs> Amen. Okay. All right. The curse of sin was passed down to all humanity. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And this, if you've ever studied systematic theology, any systematic theology fans in the house? Two and a half. Yeah, right? Okay. This is the, this is the theology of original sin, which means that because that Adam in that moment, submitted himself to the work of Satan, submitted himself to the plan of Satan for his life. He 
uh, became a slave to sin, a slave to Satan. And therefore, all who came after him inherited generational curses from Adam. That means you and me were born into sin, but we are reborn into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says nobody can see the kingdom unless they are born again. See, praying a prayer doesn't save you. Being born again is what saves you. You can pray any kind of prayer because they're just words unless you mean it in your heart, unless you confess it with your mouth and you live it with your life. It's nothing more than just repetition and words. You have to be born again. And But this is also, you guys ready for a little more the theological nugget right here? This is why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Had he been born uh, from, from two human beings, he would have inherited original sin and therefore been born into sin and therefore not the sinless, spotless lamb of God that could be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin of all. That's why Jesus had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. See, it's all important. Go read Luke 1. Go read Luke 2. And you realize that the Bible really is all connected from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation. It's all connected. It all matters. And so many of us today, we don't know who we are and we don't know what we have because we're intimidated by a thick book. But we'll spend eight hours a day watching Netflix and get nothing out of it except bad dreams that night when we go to bed. Mm. I just got convicted myself. I have to delete Chad's password from my, my notes app on my phone. <laughs> the curse of sin was passed down, but Jesus didn't inherit it because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. You guys okay? You guys hanging on? And so something else that's really interesting, and a lot of us miss it, is that Satan knows this. He's... He's a lot smarter than we give him credit for. There's two, there's two types of Christians in this world. There are the types of, there are, some of, are the types of Christians that see a demon around every bush and every flat tire and every bad hair day is the work of the kingdom of darkness. And then there are the other believers who don't give the devil enough credit and they think it's all kind of a fairy tale. And neither one of those are accurate. For one, you've got so much more authority. And also sometimes you just, you just need to use different shampoo. You've been buying Pantene Pro-V and you need to get something a little better, okay? Um, I mean, Adam, I'm looking at you right now, buddy. I see you back there. Yeah. But for those of us on this other side that say, you know, I, I, it's all made up. I'm telling you, you're, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation because just as God has a plan for your life, so does the devil. His plan for your life is to, is to steal, kill, and destroy that's his plan for your life. That's what he wants to do. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to destroy your dreams. And he wants to kill your future. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's his plan for your life. And as long as you don't acknowledge the true power of Satan, you can't truly live in what God has. It doesn't mean that we make it a focal point of our life. It just means that we know it's real and that we know that there really is a devil that we need to, we need to humble ourselves before God, resist the devil, Right. And then, no, you know, when we when we're humble for the Lord and we resist the devil, that he's going to he has no choice but to flee from us because he has no authority over our life. But there's this part in Luke four, it's also in Matthew, where Satan actually tries to deceive Jesus. It's remarkable. Like he is smart, but he's also pretty stupid. Let's just be real about it. So let me just read this to you, and maybe it'll make sense. Luke chapter 4, uh, this is when Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, you guys remember this? He begins to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. This is before he starts his public ministry, and Satan comes to him and tempts him three different times that are recorded in Luke and in Matthew. And this is what he says in Luke, in, in, one, of, in one of the temptations. He says, the devil led him up to a high place. And so this is it's probably not even a mountain. It's probably somewhere in the sky. And he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority. Come on, say that word authority. He says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. 
That's the, that, there you go. Does it make sense now? Genesis chapter three, mankind has the authority, but because they submit themselves to another voice besides the voice of their father, they actually take the dominion. They take the authority that they've been given and they say, never mind. You can be in charge now. And Satan says to Jesus, it's been given to me. And so since it's been given to me, I can give it to anybody I want to. And then in verse seven, he says, if you will worship me, which is what the devil's wanted all along, he's wanted to be exalted above the most high. And Ezekiel and Isaiah, you can go read that. He wanted, he wanted the, the glory that God was getting. He wanted it for himself. And so he says here in verse 7, if you'll worship me, it will all be yours. And how do you fight temptation? How do you fight back against Satan? It's not through willpower. It's through word power. And he says, Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Amen. And see, the, Jesus knew. He was going to regain dominion, that he was going to regain authority, but he was going to do it his way. He was going to do it on his terms. He wasn't going to do it through idolatry. He was going to do it through love. He wasn't going to do it through bowing to Satan. He was going to do it through sacrifice. He was going to do it his way, not by submitting to the plans of the devil. You see, Adam gave in to temptation in Genesis 3, but Jesus resisted temptation. Adam's sin caused death for everyone, but Jesus' uh, sacrifice would give life to all. Come on, give Lord praise for that. You see, the devil was trying to get Jesus to set aside his entire purpose for coming to earth. And can I tell you, friend, that's his plan. It's for you to set aside the purpose, the divine purpose that's in place on your life by convincing you that you're not who God says you are, that you are not the righteousness of Christ. He distorts our identity, or rather he attempts to distort our identity, and he attempts to distort our God-ordained purpose. But, everybody say but. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, he regains all authority and he regains dominion. This is what he says in Matthew 28, 18. And this is where I referenced a little bit last week. In verse 18, Jesus said, or Jesus, the word says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority. He said those two words, all authority have been, or all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, because a man lost it, a man had to regain it. And here's the thing, just as Jesus is fully God, he is also fully human. He's, he's not 50-50, he's 100%, 100%. And by living a perfect and sinless life, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, not just so that we could go to heaven one day when we die, not just so that we could be forgiven our, of our sin and, and then and not live with guilt, but rather so that we would have dominion and authority uh, over the powers of hell and over the kingdom of darkness to take what God's done in here and to see it spread out there. You guys okay? And so then you go on and you read the next verse. We'll read it again. Jesus gives dominion. He actually delegates the authority back to humanity. Or in this case, he delegates it back to the church. In eight, verse 18 again, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In verse 19, he says, Therefore. Everybody say, Therefore. So since I have the authority and I have the dominion, therefore, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm redoing what we did in Genesis 1. In Matthew 28, 19, I'm going to, I'm going to reestablish what we did in Genesis 1, 27, 20, 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as I read that and I remember what God said in Genesis chapter 1, 27, go and make disciples sounds a lot like be fruitful and multiply. Right? He said, uh, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sounds a lot like go and fill the earth. It sounds a lot like, hey, take what we've done right here and then go do it out there. Take, take, take the good news, the goodness of God that you've received in the garden in Genesis 1 and go throughout the whole earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule over the earth. Reign on earth and subdue it. Sounds a lot like Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to take back what you lost. I trust you. Isn't it amazing how much trust and faith in God he has in you? We talk a lot of times about us having faith in him, but I want to tell you today, he's 
got faith in you. He has given you the greatest assignment on planet earth to go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I need to tell you today, it's not just for preachers to do. It's not just for prophets. It's not just for televangelists, some big wig you see on TV. It's for the school teacher. It's for the trash collector. It's for the main event general manager. It's for, it's for the photographer. Come on, somebody. It's for anybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You, my friend, have been given authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus said, whatever you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. Whatever you loose in heaven will be loose on earth. Which sounds complicated, but let me just say, this is what it means, is that you would take what he's done in heaven and that you would make it real on earth. You got to know who you are, but you've also got to know what you have. The bill's been paid. You just have to use the authority that's been given to you to, to get what you want. Now, I'm, I'm you guys okay? I don't know if I am, but I want to make sure you are. Jesus, we read this in Romans 5, 17, has destined you to reign or to rule in life. That is your assignment. But I want you to, I want you to hear this because there's a, it's not a caveat, but I just want to make sure that I'm very clear here. You have been given the authority through Christ to do what Jesus did. But God does not want you to reign in life so you can make things your way. Okay? Because this gets abused. And, and we come up with these theologies that we nickname blabbing and grabbing and naming and claiming stuff, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah. And so we make up these false gospels and pretend like, oh, I've been given authority in Christ, which is a truth, a 100% truth, but then we mix it with something that's not exactly accurate, and we try to, we try to impose our way and our will in certain situations because we, we think that we've, we, because we have been given something by Christ. You lost it. It's gone forever now. I don't know what it was, but it's gone forever. The ground just swallowed. What was that? Like a pacifier. Chapstick. Okay. Thanks for that distraction there, friend. <laughs> Love you much. God doesn't want you to rule in life so you can have it your way. God wants you to rule in life so you can make it his way. I think that's worth repeating. God doesn't want you to reign in life so you can have it your way. God wants you to reign in life so you can make it his way. That's what it means to have authority in Christ. Let me, let me say it like this. If you start acting outside of the delegated authority that's been given to you, you will be removed from the covering of authority that's over you. If you start acting outside of the delegated authority that's been given to you, you will be removed from the covering of, of authority that's over you. So, so let me give you a very basic example. My children enjoy the blessings of our home that we have provided for them. They enjoy being able to eat at our table. They enjoy uh, almost free reign of our pantry, of, of entertainment, of spaces, and of toys that are theirs. But occasionally, as perfect and as beautiful as they are, sometimes they begin to act outside of boundaries that I have established for them to remain inside of. Sometimes their mouths begin to say things that they shouldn't say. Sometimes their feet begin to take them places they shouldn't go. Sometimes their actions begin to do things that they shouldn't do. And when that happens, they begin to, of, them, of themselves to be removed out from under the, the covering, which is a blessing of authority that's been placed over them. And so then there's certain things that when they're under the authority of our home that they get to enjoy, that because they have removed themselves from the covering of authority in their home, in, in our home, they don't get to enjoy anymore. Like sometimes, sometimes, uh, after dinner, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe one of them's been a little mouthy that day. Nobody else has that problem with their kids though, right? It's just us, right? We're the only ones with kids who know way more than we do. Right? 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 It's just us, right? And they're not even teenagers yet. I need y'all to pray for me, okay? No, my kids, are they're, they really are good kids, but, you know, they're still children, they're, and, and, and they're still human beings, just like I am, just like you are. And, and, and so maybe, you know, maybe, you know, my, our favorite snack in our house is a, is a zebra cake, right? Can I get a witness in the house today? I felt, I just felt the presence of the Lord in a new way. And you know, a lot of times after dinner, they'll ask, hey, can we get a snack? Which means, can I get a zebra cake? 
And if, it, if they ask me, the answer is always no because the zebra cakes are reserved for me. <laughs> Obviously, right? If they ask their mother, she tries to make me eat less of them, so she'll give them to them. I'm just not going to look over there. <laughs> but if they've been a little mouthy that day, mm-mm, no, you, 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 are not, you have not been behaving and operating and conducting yourself in a way that merits the reward of our relationship. Are you guys, are you guys okay? When we start to act, act outside of the delegated authority that's been entrusted to us, there's another word for it. We don't like it, but it's, it's a word that we probably need to hear a little bit more. It's called sin. And I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a child of God, but occasionally I sin. Sin doesn't define me. It's not who I am but I would be a liar if I told you it never happened, right? And so when I choose to sin, the Bible says in Hebrews that God disciplines his children because he loves them. If you love your kids, you discipline them. You, you might, a lot of parents today in our world, and I probably shouldn't go even down this road. And I, we, we, call, we say we love our kids by letting them do whatever they want to. That's the, that's the most hateful thing you can do. Because you're raising little monsters. You're not raising, you're, you're trying to prepare the world for your children when in reality you should be pre preparing your children for the world, right? Anyway, tangent, rabbit trail, soapbox, off soapbox, moving right along. So occasionally when I begin to step outside of the boundaries of the authority that God has given me, aka sin, God loves me enough to discipline me, not by punishing me, but by removing the blessing of his covering over his life and allowing me to experience some things that hurt a little bit so that I recognize the error of my way. A, a good word that we like to call it is conviction, not condemnation, but conviction. And I realize, you know what? I have stepped out of alignment with the father who covers me, the father who's called me. I'm not, I'm still a son. I'm still, you're still a daughter. You're, you're, your, your residency in heaven is not what's up for grabs here. You're, you're still called. You're still chosen. You've still been made new. But you're just a child in this moment who's acted a little bit out of line. And the loving kindness of your father allows you to experience a little bit of life out from under his covering. Now, not some, now, now this isn't where I want to go, but sometimes life just happens and sometimes hardships come and have nothing, and has nothing to do with sin in your life. Okay, I just want to make that very clear. So just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean I'm telling you you got sin in your life. Some Sometimes it's because God loves you and trusts you enough that he knows that this hardship is going to make something good come out of you because fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintop. Fruit grows in the valley. Amen. Amen. But sometimes we go through some things because we steps outside of alignment from where God has called us and we call it discipline. And this is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, that God comes to them in the cool of the day, starts looking for them, finds out. I mean, not really that God had to find out. He knew like he knew what was up. Right. And he says, okay, now you have to leave the garden. He actually says, lest they take from the tree of life and remain in this fractured state forever. It was an act of God's love to kick them out of the garden because he knew if they were to partake of the tree of life in this broken state that they would be stuck that way. And that's some, I mean, I told you, I told you. Now listen, I warned you we were going deep today, right? I didn't come to play games. I came to have church. And, and so that's what God does. We call it, we, some people like to call it punishment, but it's not. It's discipline and discipline as an act of love. And I just need to tell you this today. I, this is actually, this wasn't in my message at all until late last night. Some of you are living in sin and you are not able to fully live in the authority that God has for you because you of your own volition have removed yourself out from under the covering of God's blessing over you. You're still a Christian. You're still going to heaven, but you are unable to operate in all of the power and the authority that God has for you because you are living out from under his authority over you. You okay? Have I hurt your feelings a little bit? I hope not. I hope you understand that this is love. This is, this is what pastoring looks like. Anybody can preach a good sermon. Anybody with enough time, even you. Yes, you. You could do it, given enough time. But pastoring says, I love you enough to tell you that some of you, 
It's not because it's not just because you don't know what you have. It's also because God has placed his covering over you and you're living over here. You're trying to keep you're trying to keep a little bit under it, but you're you're still living with a little bit out from under it. And you are not able to fully operate in all that God has for you because you are not fully submitting to his authority over you. And you might say, okay, I'm going to ask God to forgive me. But can I tell you something? I'm just going to preach a little bit. Asking God to forgive you is not the same as repenting of your sin. You see, you can ask for forgiveness, but unless you change, unless you make a decision to change your ways, you have not repented. You're just trying to get out of trouble, but you're not trying to get right. Right? You're just trying to avoid any more discipline, but you're not trying to change your life so that you can start living in the fullness of all that God has for you. And so many of you today, many of us in this room, you need to recognize that God has a plan for my life, just like Satan has a plan for my life. And right now I'm trying to live under a little bit of each, but you can't do that. You can't do that and be fully used the way God wants to use you to, to expand and to further the kingdom of God on heaven as it is in, or on earth as it is in heaven, because you're trying to live in two different worlds. And that does not work. That does, that's what miserable Christianity looks like. That's what powerless Christianity looks like. That's what prayers look like that never get answered. Not because God doesn't love you, but because you are not living in, in obedience to his word over your life. You're still a son. You're still a daughter. You're still redeemed. You're still chosen. But you are ineffective as a man or woman of God on earth because you are not submitting to his ways, his reign, and his rule. And where Paul says that through one man death reigned, you're still trying to live a little bit of that old life. And you need to repent today. Right now, you don't have to wait for an altar call at the end of service. Right now, under your breath, Lord, I repent. You might say, well, I've repented before and I messed up again. Can I just tell you? It doesn't matter. Do it again. Repent again. Ask for forgiveness again. Make up your mind again that I'm not going to live in this way anymore. I'm going to make my life right. I'm going to do my part and I'm going to trust God to do the part that I can't do. You might be struggling with an addiction. You might be struggling with pornography. You might be struggling with looking at things you should be looking at or saying things you shouldn't be saying or doing something that you shouldn't be doing it doesn't I, I, it doesn't matter what it is what matters is that you acknowledge it it's not what God has for your life and that you acknowledge that God's way is better than your way and you say to him right now father I confess my sin I repent of my sin and I thank you for the forgiveness that's found only in the name of Jesus and repentance looks like this Literally, it means to make a 180 degree turn. So I was going this way. I recognized the error of my way. God said, go this way. This is the way I'm going to go. That's what it looks like. You don't need to wait to an altar call. You can do it right now. As Jesus ruled, he's our model. And he wants you to rule. He wants you to reign. And when temptation came, he didn't defeat it with willpower. I said this earlier. He defeated it with word power. You got to know the word. The word's got to be in your heart. Hide it in your heart. And when you need it most, it'll come out. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When storms came, he was the voice of peace. When he lacked resources, he made a lot out of a little. I'm telling you, he's our model. You might read the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and think, oh, that's just for Jesus. But Jesus, if you will submit your life to him and live under the blessing of his authority, you'll find out that in your own life, God will turn a little into a lot through you. When he had no way across the sea, guess what? He walked on water. Anybody ever tried to walk on water? I've tried twice. <laughs> it worked one time. I mean, it was like a half-inch puddle, but it worked. Sort of. And the other time it didn't. Maybe you're not going to walk on water, but maybe you will recognize that God's given you the power to go wherever he's called you to go, to do whatever he's called you to do, no matter what people say, no matter what circumstances say. When the wine ran low at the wedding, he took the unclean and he made it clean. He took the unuseful and he made it useful. God's given you that authority as well. If you'll walk in the power of his way and live under the blessing of his covering. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the death, deaf, and he gave strength to the lame. And he brought dead things back to life again. 
And friend, I'm telling you, he has entrusted you to do the same. Not because you're a preacher, a prophet, or some super spiritual grandma that we all look up to and talk really good about, but because you are a son or a daughter of God, and that is all the qualification you need. Demons could not scare him. Political turmoil did not distract him. Hello? Come on, come on. The devil loves it when you get so consumed with things of this world that you start forgetting the things of heaven. He loves it. It makes him so happy when your Facebook starts getting consumed with it, when your podcast starts getting consumed with it, when your news feed is consumed with it, when, when Fox or CNN or whatever it is, you, whatever you pick your poison. I don't care when that starts going over in your mind instead of the word of God. He loves it. He loves it. You, you're giving the devil everything he wants right now when you do that, if that's what you're doing. No, 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 no. Politics didn't worry Jesus. Man, you think politics are crazy now. Why don't you go live in first century Palestine where the Romans took over and occupied all of Israel? The only people that think stuff is worse today are the people who've never read a history book. But no, that, that didn't distract him. Economic woes, they didn't intimidate him. Oh, Jesus, oh, you got to pay some taxes. Hey, go catch a fish and go see what you can find in his mouth. And Peter goes and catches a fish and he pulls a coin out and he goes, pays his tax bill. I feel the Lord in that. <laughs> you can keep your stimulus check. I'm going to go fishing, right? I don't care how much gas costs. You know why I don't care how much gas costs? Because I'm obedient to the word of God and how I handle my finances. And I know that this world, this government, this economy, it's not my provider. My father's my provider. I don't care if gas is $10 a gallon. I mean, I kind of do, but I don't. You might be saying, I was with you up until that point, Pastor Drew, but now you lost me a little bit. Well, it's because you need to get in his word and you need to get under the blessing of his covering in your life. And the only people who are worried about the cost of things right now are the people who don't tithe biblically because they're not living in accordance with the law and the, and the command of God. And if you're not tithing 10% of your income, Malachi says that you are robbing God of what he's given you. We don't ask you to tithe because we need your money. Lifehouse Church is doing better than it's ever done before. The reason we want you to tithe is because we want to see you blessed so you can be a blessing. And the only person you're hurting when you don't tithe is you. Can't wait for baptisms. We'll have fun then. It's only 1137. I got two hours left. I asked Jeff to put a 45-minute timer up there today. That was not worth it. It turned red. Everybody look back and see the red mark. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, I see it. We got we to gotta adjust that 45 minutes. We got to make it about 65 minutes. That's right. You ain't got nothing better to do. That's what's up. What's up? What's up, girl? <laughs> Give her a high five on my behalf. Nothing the devil could throw at Jesus could stop him because he knew who he was and he knew what he had. And he knew he was destined to rule in life. Not, and remember, Jesus says this, not to accomplish his own will and his own way, but to do the will of the one who sent him. And that's what it looks like to live under the covering of the authority that's been given to us. I don't reign in life to do what I want and to have my way. I reign in life to do the will of the one who sent me, the one who called me, the one who commissioned me. He ruled over opposition. He ruled over adversity and he brought heaven to earth and he set the bar. He set the standard for us to follow. You see, Jesus didn't minister for three and a half years just to, to, to do the miracles that he did and to say the things that he said. He did it to set the example so that those who would come after him would know that it is possible to live that way and to operate that way. You see, Jesus was fully man and fully God, but Philippians tells us that when he became a human on this planet, he set aside divinity being, he was equal with God. So he set that aside. And so I'll, you need to hear this. Everything that Jesus did, every healing that he did, every miracle that occurred under him, every teaching that he taught, he did not do it as God. He did it as a full human filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, Paul says, that raised him from the dead lives in you and me. So the same power, everybody say same power. The same power that Jesus had, and I know this might be hard for some of you to hear because you, this is new to you, but you need to hear it. And if you don't believe me, if you struggle with it, just get in the word. The same power lives in you. And God doesn't want it just to reside in you. He wants it to flow through you. 
He expects it to. He commissioned us for that. And some of us, some of you, and I've even been this guy. I got saved in a little Church of God church, Pentecostal as Pentecostal could get, y'all. I'm talking bobby pins on the floor after every service all around the front. And some of y'all don't have a clue, but some of y'all know what's up. But I struggle with this too at different times of my life. Some of us are allowing cynicism and skepticism to keep us from experiencing all that God has for us. We are allowing cynicism. You know, being cynical is not being critical. Crit being critical is okay, but being cynical, that's not, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. And we're allowing skepticism. Oh, I, I just don't know, man. I just don't know. Well, the reason why you don't know is because you don't know. I don't care what you think. I care what he says. I don't care what you feel. I care what he says. I don't care what I feel. I care what he says. And some of us are allowing a cynical spirit and a skeptical spirit from experiencing all that God has for us. But this is what Jesus said. I quoted it earlier in John 14, 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus is teaching us something very important right here. He is saying to them, it's, he says it later, he says, it's good for me that I'm leaving you. I want you, I want to, folk, I know they're moving right now, but try to listen to me. Try, try to focus on this. Jesus is telling his followers, which includes me and you today, it's good for you that I leave. Doesn't that sound kind of crazy, right? That Jesus would say to those that are following me, it's good for me to leave. Well, the reason why he tells them it's good for, for you, for me to leave is because when I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit. And so far, you've enjoyed God with you, Emmanuel, but come Acts chapter 2, you will experience God in you, the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And baptism isn't just in you, it's actually overflowing out of you. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not about tongues. It's not about prophecy. It's about being so full of God that when you speak, he speaks. That when you go, he goes. When you act, he acts. That's what, that's what it really means. It means to be immersed in everything that God has for me. You guys with me still? He said, it's good for you that I'm going. And the works that I'm doing, you're going to do greater than these. And go, I just, I just finished reading through Acts again. Actually, I, I, I'm not quite done with it. I just want to be clear. I don't want to lie on, uh, from stage on purpose. Sometimes I lie, but it's on accident. <laughs> Almost done with it. And again, just like I always, every time I read through it, I was amazed how, you know, people would put people on the sidewalk, hoping Peter's shadow would pass over them. And how when this one lady died, they, they sent for Peter. And, and, you know, Peter's like, I was in the room when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. I was, I was at the tomb when he called Lazarus forth, but I've never raised anybody from the dead. And I love this. He, he gets to the room. I believe her name was Dorcas, somebody who knows the Bible better than me can raise her hand. He gets to her room and he sends everybody out of the room. And you know why he sent everybody out of the room? Cause he was like, he didn't know what was going to happen, y'all. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen in here. Y'all need to leave. And so, so he prays for her and she comes back to life again. And you got to know, Peter was just as shocked as anybody else. At that moment, he had to be like, he meant it when he said that in John 14, 12, even though John hadn't written that down yet. <laughs> he meant it. Paul, Paul experiences Christ in a miraculous way. He preaches the gospel. He frees people from demons. Oh my gosh, in Acts chapter 13, Paul gets so annoyed with this one person that he makes them blind. How many of you would like to operate in that kind of spiritual authority? If you don't shut your mouth, I'm, I'm plucking them eyes out in Jesus' name. I feel the Lord in that. Y'all, Philip teleported. What's up, Star Trek? Philip just walking around one day. He, he's somewhere else. He just shows up and there's this dude in a chair. And he's like, I need to go in, in, in Ethiopia. And he starts hearing him read Isaiah. And, and he's there and he tells him about Jesus. And he baptizes the man. And Philip's gone again. And the Ethiopian literally, literally, you need to you, you can study the history of Christianity. He, he carries the gospel into Africa. And there are churches that exist there today, ancient churches and fellowships of believers that exist there because of what Philip did in Acts. 
It's insane. And can I tell you, just like James says about Elijah, they were just men. They were just women like you. It wasn't them. It wasn't what they brought to the table. It was who brought them to the table. It wasn't their authority. It was the authority that was given to them. And sometimes the greatest challenge we face is to believe his word over our circumstances. You see, circumstances change, but his word will remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will never pass away. Some of you right now, you're sitting there thinking that you're an exception to the promises of God. Even after everything we've said, even after we've looked at everything his word says, you're still convinced that you can't live this way because you're not who this is for. And can I tell you, friend, you are exactly who this is for. You're not an exception. This stuff isn't just for everyone else. It's for you. Will you stand with me this morning? We still live in a broken world. We still live among broken people. In many ways, we are still broken people. But that's not my identity. And that's not your identity. That's not who we are. And that's not what we have. Brokenness is not my possession. The promises of God and the delegated authority that's been given to me by the Lord Jesus himself, that's my possession. So we may live in a broken world and we may live among broken people and we may still have some brokenness in us, but because of Jesus, we don't pray for victory. We pray from victory. Because of Jesus, we don't pray for healing. We pray from healing. See, some of you, you've been praying that God would heal you. You need to flip that on its head and say, God, thank you that you've healed me. Thank you that healing is mine through the broken body of Jesus. You need to stop praying for something that God's already provided and you need to start walking in it. And I know, don't, don't take that and abuse it and try to turn it into something that it's not. What I'm saying is that you need to start believing those things that are not as though they were because that's what living in the promise and not in the problem looks like. That's what it means to pray from healing, not for healing. We don't pray for freedom. You've been struggling with addiction. You're asking God to free you. I'm telling you, the work's already been done. You just have to walk and live in it. You don't pray for healing. You pray from healing. You don't pray for restoration. You pray from it. You don't pray for provision. Everything you need, according to his riches and glory, has been provided for you. You pray from provision. And, and this isn't us. You guys okay? I'm, I'm, y'all okay? You okay? All right, cool. This isn't denying reality. Like, this isn't like Pollyanna thinking, you know, where you just, you're like ridiculously optimistic to, you know, being annoying and, and then some true believer comes in by and makes you blind because you're so annoying with your, you know what I'm saying? It's not that. It doesn't mean that we deny reality. It just means that we simply trust in a greater reality. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that we don't look at problems and see them and re react accordingly. It just means that we know that there's somebody who can take care of that. It, it, that's all it means. We don't deny reality. We just trust in his greater reality. And so today, as our team leads us, before we, before we move on to baptisms, I want to ask you boldly, all eyes opened, everybody looking around. Today, if you would say, Pastor Drew, there's sin in my life. But today I'm repenting of sin in my life. I am making Jesus Lord of my life. Maybe you're making him Lord of your life for the 500th time. But you know, every so often we tend to put other things on the throne of our heart. We kick him off and we put other things. We put other, we put other preferences, other addictions, other problems, other situations, and we put them on the throne of our heart. And today you would say, Pastor Drew, I'm repenting of my sin. I'm kicking junk off the throne of my heart. Jesus, I want you back on the throne. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for making me new again. I'm repenting and I want to live under the blessing of your covering in my life. If that's you, if that's your prayer, step out in the aisle and come to the front right now.
Ever, I'm, there's no shame. There's no shame. Right now, if you're judging somebody walking to this platform, you better get up here yourself, friend. Come on. Come on now. Come now. There's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. Come on. I'm repenting of my sin. I want to be made right with God. I want to live under the blessing of his covering, under the authority that he has over my life. I'm confessing my sin. I am made new in Christ. Come on. Is there anybody else? Now, some of you, you know you should be up here and you're just not doing it. You're thinking, I can pray this in my seat, and you certainly, you certainly can. But sometimes you need to step out of what's comfortable and step into what God's calling you to do. Come on, go across the front right here. You should come for that chapstick earlier. Second altar call. Every eye open, everybody looking around. Pastor Drew. I'm ready to start living in the authority that God's delegated to me. To believe those things that are not as though they were. To start calling it like he says it is, not like how I see it is. I am ready. I am willing. I want to I want to live up to the standard that Jesus has set for me. Not by my power, not by my might, but by his power, by his might, and by his spirit. And if that's you, step out in the aisle and come up. Just gather around behind these. Go ahead. We're going to take our time today. We're not rushing through this. We've got things to do, but you ain't got no place better to be. Come on, come on. Come, can you come right, through, come right through here? I'll come this way. If y'all want to go around there. And if there's anybody still standing out there that feels so compelled, would you just come and gather behind to pray for and just move among these? We got pretty full altars today, and that's a beautiful sight, amen? Come on, let's lift our hands all across the room. If you came up here today saying, Pastor, I'm ready to repent, I'm ready to make it right, I'm ready to do my part to live under his covering, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for taking upon yourself my sin so that I could take upon myself your righteousness. I repent. I turn my back on the kingdom of darkness. I want to live for you. I am not defined by my sin. I'm defined by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate these? Now, Our team is going to lead us, and I'm going to make my way. I want to lay hands on you and pray for you and believe God with you. If you're here, just, just get comfy, okay? Pray for those that are up here, and um, let's do it.